Hey, what's happening? Welcome to the Influential Communicator, the go-to podcast for your weekly dose of storytelling, speaking, and communication bullets to help you craft stories that sell and deliver presentations that win. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani. So without further wait, let's get into it. When I think of an influential communicator, I think of my guy, Scott Lease. Now check this, back in 1997, the Dean of Psychology at his university was trying to persuade Scott to become a therapist. She tried, but Scott resisted because he only had one thing on his mind, becoming a professional soccer player. His dad played college soccer, so why should his path be any different? But as Scott was about to enter his 23rd birthday, his life was about to change forever. Fast forward four years, several life-changing surgeries and an addiction to opioids later, Scott was left wondering, what the hell now? With nothing but a liberal arts degree under his belt, he initially struggled as he entered his first ever office job in the world of sales until he realized This one thing, people, that his success was going to boil down to these three simple things. His prospects admitting that they have a problem. His prospects willingness to be educated on the size of their problem. And his prospects ability to understand what on earth would happen if they don't solve their problem. Scott embodied exactly this. And he went from being an individual contributor to a sales leader and later began building out sales orgs at some of the most successful SaaS companies on the planet. And today, people, Scott lives in Austin with his family and has one simple goal to change the face of sales, one human being at a time through his books, his podcasts, his communities, and his consulting. And I've pinned him down, people, to talk today about a topic I don't think many people are talking about, you know, how to negotiate equity compensation without getting fooled. So, dude, welcome to the show. What's good? And you know what is is amazing is when you get to be around somebody who's a master at their craft and you just get to bear witness to it. That little intro and story by you was just like, Oof, you are hired, Ravi. <laughs> Thank you, bro. I appreciate it, man. Well, you know what? I say this all the time to guests, the ones that who I bring on to this show, they've got such interesting stories, man. So with you, it's not hard to find golden gems to piece together into your story. It really isn't. Well, probably because I've put myself out there. So there's there's enough stuff that you can draw upon to if you don't know me very well, you can draw upon to do some research and piece things together and whatnot. We know each other, but we don't know each other like that well, right? Mm. But uh, yeah, exactly. You, know, you are very thorough and you're a fantastic storyteller. And this is a lot of fun. As you were reading that, I was thinking, man, this dude should do voiceover work in the movies or something. What are you saying? You're saying I've got a face for face for radio. Is that what you're saying, yeah, Scott? You've got a face for radio and you know, you'd be really good in animated animated films, is what I was thinking. <laughs> what like Pixar. you know like Pixar yeah. got your name all over it. Yeah. Secret Life of Pets, bro. That's that's what I would be gunning for. Secret yeah, Life of Pets see, three. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you would be like a like an eagle or like a hawk or something like that. I'm with you. Just I'm feeling that. Up above, flying up above, narrating what's going down below. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling that. Okay. I like that. I like that. But I tell you what I like more, man, is 
And I want to acknowledge you for this because we've been talking for about 30 minutes in the green room. And Scott was like, man, why the hell did we not record this? But anyway, I digress. Here we are. But the thing I really like and love about you, brother, is your ability to show up unapologetically self-expressed, not just online, but every time I've connected with you, probably about three times now, you're the same dude. Like there isn't a version of Scott who he is online, which is incongruent with who he is offline. Man, I want to acknowledge you for that because that takes inner work and that's hard. Well, I appreciate that. And I consciously try to be that way from the way that I look, from the way that I dress, from the way that I, I talk. I just am like, this is who I am. And I'm not going to try to be something I'm not. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to act a particular way to get into a certain circle or whatever. It's like, what you see is, is kind of what you get. And I'm going to be direct with it. And this word authenticity or authentic, it seems like lately has gotten a little bit of a bad rap. Maybe it's been overused or something like that. But I really connect better with people who I believe are authentic mm. and speaking from, from experience and the truth. It's like, if I interact with you and I really believe this is who you are, it's yeah. much more meaningful to me than if I think, Oh, that's a nice show. You're putting on a nice show for me here. Like, you know, yeah. really polite up front, but as soon as I leave, you try to stab me in the back or something like that. I don't do well with that. And I just really don't want to be that way. So I appreciate you sharing that with me because my goal is for people to say what you just said, like, oh shit, I had this conversation or I met Scott and damn, he's exactly the way that he was on that webinar that I saw him on. Right. So. Well, dude, I think the thing that people miss about what they're seeing of you in the way that you communicate now without any inhibitions is you've told me before anyway, about the resistance that, founders have had when you've told them how it is, or you've spoken your mind and you've probably received backlash from that. Now, most people retreat and they go, I don't want to mess around with that. It's easier being somebody I'm not, but you went through the fire to a point yeah. where it's now at a level where exactly like you said, you don't need to show up as somebody you're not, but I don't think people are willing to go through the fire in the same way that you did. And I don't think they see that. Yeah. Thanks for that. I do think it's worth saying I wasn't just birthed being that way. Yeah, right? really? Okay. Okay. So I was outspoken and direct and whatnot, but as I got better and the more experience I got, my confidence kind of grew, mm. right? And, and my willingness to debate with somebody or engage in like a challenging conversation with a CEO or a founder to stick to my guns a little bit, you know, it got stronger. So like, by the time I'm a VP of sales for the sixth time, I'm a bit of a different communicator than I was when I was a VP of sales for the first time, mm. right? I'm much more willing to stick my neck out there. And I was a little stronger mentally and I could fall back on like, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Are they going to fire me? <laughs> Whatever. Mm. I've been through way worse things than losing my job. I'll probably will be able to find another job. It'll be okay. Right. And, you know, when you're first getting started, it's it's not as easy, I think, to show up like that. So, you know, there was a process for me over a period of, you know, a decade or so, probably where I was finding my way and I'd be outspoken at times and then kind of keep my mouth shut a little bit. And it drove me bonkers. Right. But it does get you in trouble. I know people who are creating content and saying certain things now who come to me and they're like, hey, question for you. Has your CEO ever got mad about something you posted online? I'm like, yep. 
That happened to me before. <laughs> Tell me what's going on with you. Been there. Done yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, this show is about negotiating equity conversation. We're going to get to it, people, okay? You can't skip forward. We're going to get to it. But here, here's what I want to know from Scott. When was the last time that you actively noticed yourself people-pleasing? There are times during Thursday night sales, for example, which is this revenue community that, that I run along with Amy Volos. Mm. You know, there are times where I sort of fade into the background a bit and just let other people have their moment, say their thing, and just kind of remain silent a little bit. So it's not some, I don't know if I would call that people pleasing or not, but I definitely acquiesce to others sometimes. I think one thing that people don't know about me unless they know me really well is I actually am not like a very extroverted, outgoing person. I'm not the person who's going to force themselves into a conversation or has to get the last word or whatever. I actually don't like debating and arguing all that much. So if you were saying something that I kind of dis- disagreed with or whatever, and it was a public kind of forum, I'd probably just be like, you know what? I'm going to let you feel like you got this W today. I'm going to let you feel good about that. All of you feel okay. You all had your moment. I'm just going to shut up, right? I put your happiness a little bit to the forefront. That, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Those kind of Interesting. Moments. It's interesting, bro, because I actually see that as more less people-pleasing, but more being comfortable in one skin to give somebody else the stage in that moment. And I feel like that's tough because the loudest person in the room isn't necessarily the most confident person in the room. And speaking of confidence, man, speaking of confidence, when it comes to negotiating equity, compensation with confidence, I feel like I want to learn, right? I've got like my notepad and pen here today because I want to learn from you. But I feel like in today's climate, a lot of people might be getting fooled into lower cash salaries with the promise of equity for it to never really turn into anything more than five figures, if that, right? And you and I have spoken about this before, right? If that. So, yeah. dude, what I'd love to get into with you here, as I suppose a first question is, is in today's climate, should salespeople and leaders be more focused on negotiating higher cash, basic salaries or commission versus being compensated through equity? Like which one should they be looking at in the climate of today? Yeah. Well, I mean, my opinion would be in most cases, they should be fixated on cash. They should be concerned about their base salary. They should be Mm -hmm. concerned about their variable compensation and specifically their ability to attain that variable compensation. And those two things combined to form your OTE on target earnings. That's real. That's tangible money that you can do something with right now. You can spend it and play with it. You can invest it and turn it into more money. You can't do that with equity. Equity is a hypothetical. It's a potential. It's a promise. And there is no near term with it unless you're showing up and working at a company that's already public, something like that. But in the startup kind of world, There's no guarantee that it'll be worth anything one day. And even when it is worth something, it often takes seven to 10 years. Think about that. Seven to 10 years is the typical life cycle to extract liquidity from a startup. So Mm -mm -mm. I'm 45 years old. I just turned 45 like two weeks ago. Okay. Lovely. Think about you and I, like we go work at an early stage startup right now. You and I. Okay. Yeah. I'll be 55 before... On average, I could extract 
some liquidity from that. That's 10 years, dude. That's a long time to wait. You think about increasing your salary and your OTE. Let's say you switch jobs three or four times during that 10 years. I potentially could have earned more during those salary bumps and those on-target earning bumps than the entire equity package is worth. For me, you have to focus on what's real that you can do something with more. One kind of asterisk might be if you've already made it, you're already fairly financially well off or super rich or whatever. You don't need the near-term cash. Then you can optimize more for equity because you're really just trying to hit a home run. You don't care maybe about a couple extra hundred grand this particular year because you care about 10 years from now making a couple more million, maybe even eight figures worth more million. That's the exception. But there's very few of those kinds of people in the world that are out there. already. Most of us have made nothing from equity. And then there's some of us that have made enough to buy a new Nissan Leaf to your five-figure comment. Great. You got a nice little Mini Cooper out of it. Congrats. <laughs> you know? I would always skew towards cash in my negotiation first. Like I'd focus there. And then I would focus on the equity component. That's so funny, bro. You know, it's funny. When I left corporate sales, I was in corporate sales at Citibank and I left in August 2016. And I launched into what I now call a portfolio career. But one element of that was leading and building out teams in early stage startups. And there was this like this group of individuals be like, man, you're going to a startup. Did you pick up equity? good boy, out of boy. You need to go pick up equity wherever you go. And then you've got a portfolio and then one of them will hit and then you'll be a billionaire. And then you'll be speaking on stages, talking about how you became a billionaire. And I'm like, what are you? I bought into it. I was like, yeah, man, you're right. And then I got into that world and I was like, uh, it's kind of different. So I suppose yeah. one of the interesting differentiations that people often miss is the difference between stock options and equity and the differences between that. So if an AE, an SDR is joining a new company, how do you differentiate stock options and equity to help them guide them, I suppose, guide them down the route of how to differentiate it when- Well, equity is, given, equity is given to you. You earn it, you have it straight away. Stock options is vested over a particular period of time. And then you have to pay in to exercise mm -hmm. those options. You have to buy them essentially. So there's a big difference there, right? Yep. So yep. I have had to spend six figures to exercise my options upon departing startups on more than one occasion. There's a lot of privilege that comes with that sentence. Mm. Imagine how many people don't have that kind of cash on hand that they can put out there to even exercise, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to, to understand whatever level you're at. If you're an AE and somebody's giving you thousands of shares or whatever, you have to pay money to exercise those at some point in time. So you have to have that cash on hand or you lose everything. Then there's the vest. So you know, you've got a one-year cliff typically, meaning you have to be there at least one year or you get nothing. So if you last only 10 months, whatever options that they gave you is gone. Mm. You last over a year, now you have the opportunity to exercise one year's worth and you keep vesting over a period of what's typical of four-year vesting schedule. Mm -hmm. You know how many AEs stay at one place four years and fully oh, vest? Less than 10%. You know how many sales managers? You know how many VPs of sales? The average tenure of a VP of sales is 18 months, by the way. One and a half years. <laughs>
insane. But the, but the vesting schedule that you're given on stock options is four years. Mm. So most people don't even vest 50% of what they're given, right? Which again, goes back to the like, should I optimize for stock options? Should I optimize for cash? That kind of thing, right? And then even after you've exercised, so you pay in a hundred grand, right? I don't know if the rules are different in the UK or, or elsewhere, but in America, you're now taxed on potential earnings. So they treat that as you've already got the money, even though you actually just spent money. So you have to have the ability to pay taxes on that, right? So there's there's all of these little things that most people don't don't know about. And it can be quite expensive to actually exercise and take advantage of the things that you feel like you earned and that you deserved. No, you just earned the right to buy something. That's all you earned the right, the right to do. And you got to pay attention, like, how much does it cost? Is the company going up and to the right? Is this shit getting more, more expensive in a good way? Or are we crashing? I had an experience, man, where I spent over six figures, low six figures to exercise. And it went to this. Mm-mm-mm. That's a fat zero, zero bro, for anybody. Yeah. So I lost. It's gone. Yeah. So I thought I was going to make millions of dollars. And instead, not only did I lose all that, all the time, I actually lost north of 100K exercising all that stuff. So it's a risk. It's a gamble that you're making, right? That you're taking. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. You hear that, ladies and gents, the difference between stock options and equity. And I think people use those terms interchangeably, like to be fair that we have at the top of the podcast. But if you dig deeper into it, you know, this idea that people miss of you actually need to pay because you've just been given the option (laughs) to exercise, right? At a specific strike. So that's super interesting, man. When you lost... Sorry to interrupt you. It's funny too, uh, because before you were talking about how your mates were like, you're going to be a billionaire and you're going to have a portfolio of all this. People have completely crazy ideas of the valuation of their options. I, yeah. I can remember this one woman who was asking me, you know, should she exercise her options or whatnot? And, you know, I'm like, well, how many are there? How much is it worth? And everything like that. And she's like, I don't know. It's like a million dollars worth. She had 5,000 options and the you know price per share at the time was less than $10. Do the math on that. That's not a million dollars. And she was super upset because she thought that this whole time that she was working here thinking like I'm investing and I'm I'm moving towards like a million bucks. That's not a million dollars. You know, a good solid exit for a startup would be a price per share of around 10 bucks. Whenever somebody has like they tell me, hey, I have, you know, a thousand options or 10,000 options or a hundred thousand options or whatever. This is weak napkin math, but I'm just like, just multiply your number of options by 10 bucks. And that's, you know, would be a pretty freaking good outcome, right? That's one easy way, oversimplified way, perhaps, but one easy way to try to figure out, well, what would my options be worth if we had a really good liquidity event seven to 10 years from now? And then figure out, is it worth it? Can I make more by going somewhere else and optimizing for cash over that seven to 10 year period of time? Things to think about. It's not simple. Mm. I think my friends definitely said millionaire, but billionaire sounded good in the moment. I digress. Uh, (laughs) This is one of the reasons why I believe the game is fucking rigged. It's not set up at all for employees, 
especially non-executive, non-C-level employees. It's not set up for you to make a lot of money. Not every company is Google and Facebook and Zoom and, and any a company that just like hits a different stratosphere. If you're at one of those companies, you had a couple thousand shares and you were a rep, well, you probably made insanely good money. That's not normal, man. It's not normal. That's not the normal story. I don't know what people what people do. It's a shame. But people take out loans? Yes. Do people not exercise because they don't have the money? Yeah, 100%. Do people stay in the job? Because as long as you stay there, you don't have to exercise. The moment you leave that job, a clock starts where you have 90 days sometimes, sometimes even only 30 days, sometimes longer, to make the decision. But if you stay there and keep working, you don't have to you know, spend that money. So some people just stay there. The game is rigged, man. It's set up for the founders and the venture capitalists to make all the money. And whatever table scraps are left, that shakes out to employees. Oh, man, that's so crap, especially for young salespeople coming up, hoping that their leaders are going to take care of them. That sucks, man. Uh, that's not my daughter, Rav. That's my wife. That's exactly what the COO of Insightly said to me earlier this year when we were just hanging out on a call, chatting about whether I could support his team with their storytelling. And in that moment, I was like, man, uh, I've blown this deal, period. It's not coming off. No way. But he laughed. I squirmed a bit. And before I knew it, I was delivering a virtual workshop to his revenue team a few weeks later. Here's the thing, people. If you know me, you'll know that I love partnering with people and companies who believe in the power of relationships. And that's exactly why I've teamed up with Insightly, who are the sponsors of today's episode. Now, every sales team that I come across who are doing well, they know this one thing. They know that if you want to build a real connection with your customers and create an experience like no other, then you really need a CRM which aligns your entire revenue org to one common goal and has your sales team spending their time on revenue generating activities. You know what I'm saying? So, hey, if you feel the same way, then maybe Insightly is the CRM solution for you. Head over to www.insightly.com forward slash influential to book a free demo with their sales team today. All right, let's get back to the show. What I'm interested to know here is earlier, you mentioned spending six figures to exercise some options and it going to zero. Forget about the reason as to why that happened. But when it did happen, how did that impact your confidence when making future business decisions? Because the self-talk must have been crazy after that. So how did it impact the way that you made business decisions after? Uh, that's not my daughter, Rev. That's my wife. He said, as I asked him a question about a picture I could see in his background during a Zoom call. And I remember thinking, man, I'm speaking to the COO of Insightly here about supporting his team with their storytelling. And I've definitely blown the deal, period. But strangely, he laughed. I definitely squirmed a bit. And before I knew it, I was actually delivering a virtual workshop to his revenue team a few weeks later. Now, here's the thing, people. If you know me, you'll know that I love partnering with people and companies who really believe in the power of relationships. 
And that's exactly why I've teamed up with Insightly, who are the sponsors of today's episode. Now, every single sales team that I train knows this. If you want to build a real connection, I'm talking about a real authentic connection with your customers and create a unique buying experience, then you need a CRM, which aligns your entire revenue org around one common purpose. And hey, if you feel the same, if you feel me, then maybe Insightly is a CRM solution for you. So if you're not in your head right now, then head over to www.insightly.com forward slash influential to get your free 14-day trial today. All right, let's get back to the show. Well, this is probably a surprising answer, but I don't think that it did impact the way that I make decisions. And here's why is because I made that decision roughly eight, nine years ago. I'm in a completely different position in terms of the business that I conduct now, the income that I earn now, and that kind of thing. So I got to a place where that loss, while it still stings, is not like the worst thing in the world, right? So I'm more able to just kind of take it on the chin. And I knew it was a risk, but now I have tasted the bitter end of the risk. So I've had a almost half million dollar exit. I've had a six figure go to zero loss. And I've had a few small wins in here and in between. And I'm still hoping and, and have an opportunity to have one big, massive kind of win. So I think it just cemented that this is all a risk, that this is all a gamble. And, you know, keeps your eyes open to the game being rigged. Who really is going to make, you know, the money here and these things? Even if you're a VP, like the disparity between a VP of sales and a co-founder is so massive, right? I've gone to startups before and it's, you're the co-founder, you've got a technical co-founder, there's a couple engineers. I'm the, hired as the VP of sales. I sell this shit for the first time. I start hiring people. I build it, grow it. I get 1% and you probably have 30%. Are you trying to tell me that you are 30x more valuable than that VP of sales who made this fucking engine go? I will die on that hill that that is not equitable or fair at all, right? So unless you are in that C kind of level, that VP level where you're taking home 1% or more, your odds are just not super good to have a seven-figure event. And so I, I hope people think about that. It's like at a rep level, you make enough, hopefully you can buy a new car. At a manager level, you make enough, hopefully, where you can make a down payment on a house. At the mm. VP level, you make enough that it's like you could hit seven figures and maybe change your life. At a co-founder level, you make enough where it's game fucking over and you can do whatever the hell you want for the rest of your life. Big, big differences in those stages. And, and I think people need to do a little bit more research and, and really understand like what's realistic and possible at each particular stage of your career. Yeah, I love that, how you talk about it in stages. And also when you talk about evaluating the risk, if I've got a contract in front of me right now, Scott, okay? And it's like, welcome to so-and-so enterprises. We're grateful to welcome you as our next VP of sales or whatever. It's got 50 pages of gibberish in it. Half of that is about stock options, okay? Now, what language should I look out for 
to know this is potentially a red flag here. So I'm not getting fooled. Okay. I don't, I don't have money to get a lawyer. What language do I look out for so I don't get fooled? Well, I think you're specifically looking for the vesting schedule. Okay. A common vesting schedule would be four years with a one year cliff. Every now and then you'll see somebody who sneaks in a five year vest. So that would be a mm. red flag for me. Okay. Every now and then somebody might do a three-year vest and that would be like, wow, these people are going above and beyond. That's fantastic. That's like a green flag kind of line item, right? Yeah, yeah. So the vesting schedule, the total number of shares that are being allocated to you is super important to understand that and to understand the total available pool. That way you really understand your true percent of ownership you got not having transparency around that would be a red flag so i would be looking for that what else i mean the actual numbers i mean if you're a vp of sales and somebody's offering you 10,000 shares 10,000 out of what because a vp of sales even a stretch vp of sales should get no worse than half a percent ownership in the company up to about two and a half three percent this is what's common. One to two and a half, three percent is common. So don't just take the share amount and be like, oh, they gave me a hundred thousand shares. Fuck yeah. Cause that could be point zero 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 one percent of the total allocation. And you could be worth way more than that. You should deserve way more than that. So those are the things that I'm looking for. The one other thing is the amount of time you have to exercise should you depart the company. So 30 days would be a massive red flag to me. Uh-huh. That's like, oh my God, I barely can figure out what's going on in my life in 30 days, let alone potentially come up with that kind of scratch money in order to exercise those options. So 30 days would be a red flag. 90 days is fairly standard. I think it sucks, but it's fairly standard. Anything more than that, there's some companies that literally give you like five, 10 years that's somebody who's like taking care of you and, and allowing you to continue to see how the company is performing and whether or not you should spend that money. Those are the main things that I would be looking for. Dude, that's gold. I think for those listening right now, that's gold. And here's what's really interesting. You said about the available pool. So let's say if they're being shady about it, do you go to a Bloomberg terminal? Like where would you go to find out the available pool if they're not willing to give it? Which is a red flag, I know. But where would you go to find that out? Man, that's a great question. I am not totally sure if I'm being honest with you. I don't know because I would just go back. If it was me, I'd go back to them and say, listen, I'm not coming on board unless I have this information. Yeah. You know, number one, I need this information. Number two, I am now concerned about the type of business leader that you are because you're not being forthright and transparent. You know, you're withholding information that's valuable for me in order to make the most, the correct decision for me. And I am worried that that's how you operate in other areas of your business. So I don't know where else I would, would go. You know, Crunchbase have that kind of information. I don't know. Other websites that announce funding rounds have that information. I don't know. I don't think so because I don't think you have to make that information public. Mm. If it's a mm. privately held company, you don't have to make that information public, I don't think. So mm-hmm. I would just go, I would have to go to the source and ask again. And I would be willing to walk away. If it was me, I'd be willing to walk away if I didn't get that that information. Yeah. 
you make a good point because it tells you a story about the way that they operate and think before you even get in a relationship, man. So correct me if I'm wrong. This is what I'm hearing, Scott, is there's a few variables, right? So a five-year vest is, hey, these are some good people. I like it. I like it. Three years. No, no, sorry. No, no, the opposite, right? Five no, years. Yeah, five years is like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's it. Whoa. Exactly. But three years is, hey, right? That's like, okay, this is good. Four years is standard. Then also looking at the total number of shares as a ratio of the total amount outstanding or available. And then also once you leave, how long you really have to make a decision about whether you want to exercise that option. So 30, 90 days is one thing, but five years, those people are taking care of you. Yeah. And the other thing would be the cliff. Which, because what's yeah. normal is the one-year cliff, meaning you're not vesting anything for that first year until you hit your one-year anniversary, right? Yeah. So amazing would be no cliff, meaning you start yeah. vesting straight away. That is very, very rare. You know, massive, insane red flag would be like, we have a two-year cliff or something like that. That would be like, what yeah. are we smoking right now? <laughs> yeah, that yeah. That would be okay. another, another line item to kind of you know, look for. And you can ask, they probably won't list it on the paperwork, but you should ask because they do eventually have to share it with you because if you're going to exercise, but you should ask what the price per share is on these options that they're sending you. Because that's how you figure out like right now, if I was going to exercise, this is what I'd have to pay. And the earlier you go in, the cheaper that will be. Right. I mean, I had, I don't even remember the exact numbers. Hundreds of thousands of shares when I went to a place 10, 11 years ago. And they were so early that the shares were like less than a penny. So it cost me like $90 to exercise. So I pre-exercised everything because there's only like 90 bucks. And I'm like, fuck it. You know? So if you go in later though, and the shares are already valued at five, six, seven bucks, it's like, okay. You got to gain now. If I'm coming in at five bucks, I got to get to 50. If I'm coming in at a penny, I don't have to get to 50 bucks per share in order for me to make as much necessarily, right? So it's about the delta, really, between the two and ensuring that you. That's what your spend is. It's the delta in terms of your spend in order to exercise. Yep, 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 yep. Man, this this is interesting. So if somebody is joining an early stage startup, and they what they you know they hope that it could get to that ten dollar napkin figure that you mentioned. Right now, it's less than a buck. Let's say, what is one thing, the main thing in your eyes that somebody should look for to at least use as a proxy for if that could occur? Well, you could look at the ARR of the company. Okay, that would be a, a good proxy. I mean. Again, this is not, there's no science really around this, but if a company got to a hundred million in ARR, yeah, probably a good indication that the price per share is over 10 bucks. Okay. Again, not a science. Don't quote me necessarily on this, but this is napkin math, hypotheticals, like makes things easier to understand. You get to a hundred million, you're probably worth 10 bucks a share. So as you're evaluating a, a company, you might think to yourself, can I see this company getting to a hundred million in ARR? Very, very few companies get to a hundred million in ARR. Very few, very, very few. And there's big famous companies that we know and see on LinkedIn every single day who are nowhere fucking near a hundred million in ARR, right? 
or who just crossed it. And you're like, damn, I would have thought you crossed that years ago. And there's not every company has the same market opportunity. Not every company has the same total addressable market or the same average sales price, right? So you think to yourself, can I see this company getting to 100 million a year? What is our total addressable market? What is our average sales price going to be for whatever service or product that we're, we're selling? You have to think about that and then make an assessment of, well, do I think I can get there? Do I think that these shares can get to 10 bucks you know, per? And if not, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't go work there. It just means you need to adjust what's plausible and you need to adjust your expectation potentially, right? Because mm. you don't want to go in somewhere thinking you're going to be a millionaire and end up with a Mini Cooper. <laughs> I listen, I like a Mini Cooper, man. I like a Mini Cooper. Listen, I, I feel you. I, I like a Mini you. Cooper too, but not when I'm expecting a fucking million dollar payday, dude. <laughs> Smart car for life, bro. Smart car for life, yeah. whatever happens. But okay, this is this is really cool, man. I think this is so eye-opening for so many people. And one of the questions I'd like to end on is say if somebody does feel like there's something dodgy in the contract, but they feel nervous about approaching the founder with highlighting it because they feel like it could burn the bridge. What is one way that somebody could communicate a issue inside of the contract without burning a bridge and still keeping that line of comms open? Well, I, I think this is where that negotiation part kind of comes in. Your tone should be one of seeking education. It should be like, hey, can you help me understand something? I'm a little newer to this than you. I'm trying to learn more about this kind of stuff. I got a couple of questions. You mind answering these questions for me? I think if you come with that kind of tone and that kind of tact, it sets up a dynamic where the person who is being asked is like, oh, okay. Like this is a non-threatening situation. This is not Robbie coming at me being like, I deserve fucking 10 times more shares. This is Robbie coming at me because, you know, he's 22 years old and he's just like his first job or second, he's trying to learn this stuff. And like, I feel good. And I want to, I want to help somebody give some information. So that's how I, I would go about it. And then I hopefully get some of that information. And then I'd say, okay, well, let me ask you another question. I was reading, and now you, this is where your own education has come in. I was reading about the average stock option percents that VPs of sales get. Seems like the common thing is 1% to 2%. Sounds like you're offering me a quarter percent. Can you help me understand the difference there? Am I looking at this the right way? Do I have this wrong? Real kind of calm from a place of looking for information, almost like you're a little bit of a lost puppy, right? Say, hey, help me out. I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused here. Maybe I'm a little, I'm a little slow, right? You take some pity on me. Help educate me a little bit. So I think that's the move, right? Is you ask this question and then you say, okay, tell me a little bit more about that. I was doing some research or I was listening to some people talk or I was chatting with a buddy of mine or talking to my mentor or whatever. And they told me this, and now, now you're setting up this like points of differentiation, right? And now they've got to explain to you, well, Robbie, yes, one to two percent is on is average for a VP, but I think you're shit. <laughs> or, I think you're brand new. You've never done this before, right? This is a big stretch for you. Here's what I'm thinking. We'll start you at a quarter percent, but once you crack a million dollars in ARR, 
we'll bump you up to 1% and we'll put a mile. And that's where the negotiation can start to come into play, I think. I love that, man. Especially the bit about the tonality of seeking and the up talk at the end of the sentence. So it's a question versus are you screwing me over versus are you screwing me over? Like, it's, it's a question, not an accusation. Love it. Love it. Love that man, dude, ladies and gents, Scott Lease, Scott Lease, hey. people bring, always, bring in always some, pleasure, bombs. Man. always fun to talk always. to. Yeah. You too, bro. I still, I, I, still, I still have to say though, the first 30 minutes in the green room was potentially better than what we just did. So everybody, everybody who's listening to Robbie's podcast, Everybody messaged him with feedback saying, listen, dude, just start recording the green room straight away. And if the green room <laughs> talk is crap, just cut it, just trim it. But if it's gold, just bundle it all in or make it a little bonus episode. I'm helping you so deliver true. what your fans deserve, bro. Bro, you know what the worst thing is, is you're freaking right. I'm thinking about it. When I switched the conversation to, so let's talk about negotiating equity cop. I was like, oh, it sounds... What we were talking about was so much fun earlier. I was like, what am I? Thing is, it gets so, everything gets so formal when you try to focus on one kind of topic. And, and you know, it's good to dive in like that. But some of the just like free flowing things, there's just as much value in sometimes. Right. You're right, bro. You I'm, giving him shit. I'm giving him shit. Not everybody, like everybody, you know, message him anyways, but also be kind to him. Well, listen, this episode is not going out to the public now, so it don't even matter. <laughs> Scott Lee didn't show up. Scott Lee's an asshole. He didn't show up, actually. So that's that's what happened. This one went in the bin. (laughs) Yeah, this one was shit to my editor. This guy's a jackass, so he's not coming on again. Dude, I appreciate it. But tell me this, man. Tell me this, okay. What is one thing that Scott Lee is working on right now outside of work that he's actually excited about, man? Outside of work that I'm actually excited about. Well, I just moved into a new house. So yep, yep. while daunting and annoying to move and all that kind of thing, if you've ever purchased a home, there is something exciting about having the opportunity to make it your own and yep. do certain things. And, you know, from the last place you lived to the new place you're living, like, what would I do different? Okay. I didn't like this about the old place. I'm going to definitely do this cool thing yeah. in the new place. So I'm kind of excited about that. And I'm trying to fight the urge to do everything all at once. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You move into this new place and you're like, you have this idea of what everything should be. And you're like, that needs to be done by five o'clock today. Okay. Mm. That type of thinking while is natural for me is stresses me out to like no end. So I'm working on just like, okay, we'll get there just a little bit at a time. Like I got this one bookshelf here full, the other one's empty still because it hasn't all come out yet. Right. So anyway, well, I've seen that. That's one thing. What you got there? You've got the notebook. You've got Mean Girls. You've got oh, Sex yeah, in the City. Yeah, oh, it's I cool, man. It's, that's yeah. a bit of you. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. Okay. is in there too. That's you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonder Woman. Okay, nice. Nice, man. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. Okay. It's, tells me a good story about you. Now, dude, final question. I promise, okay? Then I'm going to love you and leave you. Is This show is called The Influential Communicator, man. So my question to you is, who does Scott look up to as an influential communicator? Strictly in communication, man. I look up to you the way that you tell stories and pull information together and almost write like a, like a script, you know what I mean? And whether you actually write it out and prep ahead of time, or you just do it on the fly, I don't know, but you do it very well in a way that I think peaks 
the interests of the listener or the or the viewer if somebody's watching you, you know, face to face. Another individual, you know, I get the privilege of listening to Amy every, every single week. Yeah. And and yeah. the way that she tells stories is kind of a hoot because she's hilarious and <laughs> irreverent, but then also very powerful and very respectful at the same time. It's she's this weird amalgamation of like prim and proper like British royal family and like the exact opposite, like somehow <laughs> I don't know reality tv like mtv kind of thing so i'm always just like what is she going to say next and i think that for me in terms of communication and storytelling like those are the people i want to be around because i'm on edge i'm on the edge of my seat i might like it i might hate it i might agree with it i might disagree with it i'm just like what the fuck is this person going to say next i got to tune in and if you make me feel that way I think you're doing your job pretty well. I love it. Well, we've actually got Amy Volas coming on pretty soon, ladies and gents. And dude, I'm not one who's very, very good rather at receiving compliments. So I'm going to take your compliment. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to say thank you, man. I genuinely yeah. appreciate that because I know it. You don't mince your words, man. You're not going to tell me no. something I want to hear. So ladies and gents, that's Scott Lee. Same time, same place next week. I'll see you for another episode of The Influential Communicator. Peace. Oh, okay, okay, hold on. So you thought that this was the part of the show where I say something like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you did enjoy the show, then please drop us a review and do share it with a friend. Well, I'll tell you what, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be predictable here, okay? Do share it with a friend and do drop us a review if you got some value from today's episode, okay? So if you want to impact people, remember, you need to learn how to influence them first. 